0: many of you enjoy watching a good movie? Anybody? Most everybody in here, right? Let me ask you this. How many of you enjoy watching that same good movie again with someone who has never seen it? Anybody? To me, that's almost as good as watching it the first time. And if you're anything like me, if you're watching a good movie that you've already seen with someone who's Hadn't seen it yet. He's watching it for the first time. Something that frustrates me is when they're not paying attention at key parts in the movie. Are y'all with me? You know, I'll, I'll say, you know, are you watching? You know, I'll, I'll always remind them to be sure. You know, I don't tell them the story, but I say, hey, something very important's coming up. You need to, you need to watch. You need to pay attention here. This is a key part in the movie. And uh, Leslie, she's not in here, so I can say it in the first service. She. Uh, She loves to get up and make popcorn during key points in the movie. And uh, also answer her phone and different things like that. And I, you know, that that bothers me a bit. But, you know, we move on. Well, this morning, folks, today, I really want to do that with the text that we're going to be looking at today. I've already been studying through this text, obviously. And I really want to call your attention to what is taking place in this text that we're going to look at today in Acts chapter 10. Because this part of the gospel story is of vital importance to us. Here we begin to see the fulfillment of all that Christ said in Acts chapter 1 verse 8. Here we learn why there are Christian churches all throughout the U.S. and the world made up primarily of Gentiles. In Acts chapter 9 with the conversion of Saul because he is God's apostle to the Gentiles and Peter's message and the conversion of Cornelius and the other Gentiles in his household here in Acts chapter 10 is the beginning of God's ministry to us because we're Gentiles, right? We're non-Jewish people and this is a Gentile congregation you have your Bibles, turn to Acts chapter 10. Acts 10. Last week we looked at verses 1 through 23, and I told you last week that in this text we see two things in particular. First, we see how the gospel first came to the Gentiles. And we also learn here how individuals come to saving faith by examining this encounter between Peter and Cornelius. So we should be studying this text for what it means for us as Gentiles. This is a a key point in our history as Gentiles, but we need to also be looking at what this text means for individuals who come to saving faith in Jesus. Though we have other stories in Acts... That tale of individuals coming to Christ, we looked at one a few weeks ago with the conversion of Saul, and one a few weeks before that with the conversion of the Ethiopian eunuch. In this account, Luke gives us a detailed account of how God works all throughout salvation. How is it work in the recipient of salvation? How is it work in his messenger of salvation? And how he brings these two together. Luke also gives us details on the message that is shared that leads to saving faith. You'll remember a few weeks back when we were looking at the conversion of the Ethiopian eunuch, we're not really told specifically the message that Philip preached to him we're just told that he shared the gospel with him and this man got saved right but but not a lot of details there not the case here in Acts chapter 10 and also we are we are told by Luke in this passage what happens when they hear the message they respond in faith they place their faith and trust in the Lord Jesus and we're also told what happens after they place their faith in the Lord Jesus Luke really lays all of this out here for us in Acts. Acts chapter 10. Last week, like I said, we got through verse 23, and I divided that passage up into three parts. First, we looked at the fact that God chose Cornelius. Here are the points again. You have them in your notes already filled out. This is from last week. Though Cornelius was a very religious man, a very pious man, he was a God-fearer, which means that he had turned away from the pagan polytheistic beliefs and practices of his people and had decided that the God of Israel was the one true God, though he was a devout man who feared God and led his household well and gave alms and devoted himself to prayer. He was in need of salvation. Though Cornelius was very religious, he was not saved. Though he was a God-fearer, he was not yet a Christ follower. So God selected Cornelius. He chose him, he sent an angel to him, and the angel told for Cornelius to send for Peter to share this gospel message of the Lord Jesus with him. And we're told that Cornelius does just that. In verse 7, we are told that he called two of his servants and a devout soldier and sent them to Joppa to find Peter. So God chose Cornelius, and Cornelius exerted his will and responded in obedience. We also talked about the fact that God prepared Peter. That's point number two. We said last week that there were a lot of barriers between the Jews and the Gentiles. Now, Peter had come a long way, hadn't he? Not just ministering to the Jews around Jerusalem, but he also went to the Samaritans in Acts chapter 8. So he had come a long way. We're beginning to see that Peter is beginning to see that the work that Christ accomplished at Calvary was for everyone and was meant to bring everyone together, but he was not quite there yet. He still had some hang-ups with the Gentiles, especially when it came to what they ate, to the dietary laws, right? Which is why God sends him a sheet of, Fill with clean and unclean animals and why God tells Peter to rise and eat and why he tells Peter what God has made clean do not call common. Now we don't have time to go into the details of that story. You can get on our website fellowshipjacksonville.com. Listen to the sermon from last week that's posted up there, okay? But here's basically a synopsis of what God is showing Peter here. He's showing him by by bringing this sheet down filled with clean and unclean animals. They represent the Jews and the Gentiles. And they're all in together and they're with God and they're brought up to be with God. That's That's what God is showing Peter. He's showing what his kingdom is to look like. God through this vision is showing Peter that the one who is able to unite them, the Lord Jesus is far greater than what used to divide them. He is showing Peter here that in Christ the barriers that once divided Jew and Gentile all come crashing down. Christ, as Paul says in Ephesians 4, has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility between the Jews and the Gentiles. But notice here, Peter is still a bit confused, isn't he? In verse 17, we're told that he was inwardly perplexed as to what the vision that he had seen might mean. And it is at that very moment when Gentiles show up at Peter's door or where Peter was staying. They were sent by Cornelius. So, we see here, not only does God illustrate for Peter the great work that he is going to do among the Gentiles, but we also see here that Peter is going to get to witness this great work firsthand. We also learn that God is going to use Peter to initiate this great work. Which brings us to the point we ended with last week. Not only do we see God choosing Cornelius, God preparing Peter, but notice we also see God orchestrates this encounter. Right after receiving this vision about the sheet filled with clean and unclean animals, right after God saying what I have made clean, do not call unclean and common... Peter hears these group of Gentiles calling out to him, and the Holy Spirit says to Peter, these guys are looking for you, Peter. Go immediately, without hesitation, and welcome them, because I have sent them. And Peter does just that, and he hears the wonderful story of how God is at work in this man named Cornelius, and he invites these Gentiles into his home. A big step, right? in the right direction between Jews and Gentiles. And after inviting them in to stay, we're told that Peter goes with them to Cornelius' house in Caesarea. Let's begin reading, let's pick up reading in verse 23 again. says this, The next day Peter rose and went away with them. And some of the brothers from Joppa accompanied him. So he brought some Jewish Christian brothers with them. That's important. Remember that, okay? Verse 24. And the following day they entered Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them, and he had called together his relatives and close friends. That's another important detail. Remember that. Notice you have a group of Jews, and you have a group of Gentiles, and the two are coming together. Verse 25. When Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshiped him. But Peter lifted him up, saying, Stand up, I too am a man. You see, Cornelius is not yet saved, is he? He's a bit confused. He needs salvation, and he thinks salvation is in Peter. But Peter is about to show him that salvation is through Jesus. Verse 27. And as he talked with them, he went in and found many persons gathered. And he said to them, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit any one of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. You see, Peter's beginning to get the point, isn't he? Verse 29. So when I was sent for, I came with that objection. I asked then, Why you have sent for me. Now let's just stop there for just a moment. Notice what we have here. We have a group of Jews and we have a group of Gentiles. The group of Jews have traveled with Peter to the house of a Gentile named Cornelius in Caesarea. And when they enter the house, they find Cornelius' friends and family there in this household. And Peter acknowledges the elephant in the room. I like that. He says, you know, and we know that it is unlawful for a Jew to associate with, to visit with, to enter into the house of a Gentile. Now, why would Cornelius and some of these men know that? Well, remember, he's a God-fearer, right? He associated with other Jews. He probably knew very well how they felt about the pagan Gentiles. And because he was devoted to the God of the Jews, the God of the Scripture, he knew very well that God had set his people apart for a time. But notice, Peter comes and he brings a special word from God. He says, God has shown me things are about to change. He has shown me... That what he has called clean, I am not to call unclean or common. That is why I have come to you without objection. Then he tells Cornelius, tell me, why have you sent for me? And notice Cornelius' response in verse 30. He said, four days ago, about this hour, I was praying in my house at the ninth hour, and behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard and your alms have been remembered before God. Send therefore to Joppa and ask for Simon, who is called Peter. He is lodging in the house of Simon, a tanner by the sea. So I sent for you at once, and you have been kind enough to come. Now, therefore, we are all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. Wow, what an invitation that Peter's given here to preach the gospel. Have you ever have you ever been given an invitation like this? You ever had anyone say, you know what, I know you're a Christian, and I want to know what it means to be saved, so could you share with me, please? I've had a few of those encounters before. It's awesome when God orchestrates an encounter like this. And that's what Peter has here. He's been invited into a home filled with Gentiles. And Cornelius says, here we are in the presence of God, ready to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. Notice God has orchestrated all of this, hasn't he? Peter tells Cornelius, the reason... He is in his house in Caesarea is because of what the Lord had told him in a vision in Joppa. And Cornelius tells Peter the reason he sent for him is because God had sent an angel to him to send for Peter. As we said last week, folks, God is all over this encounter, isn't he? This is a divine appointment if there ever was one. So God chose Cornelius. He prepared Peter, he orchestrated this encounter and then notice the next point, Peter preached the gospel. That's point number four in this story. Peter preached God's gospel and man, what a sermon it was. First part of the book of Acts is filled with wonderful sermons and most of them are delivered by Peter and this one is as good a sermon as any. I have the sermon outline provided for you in your outline. It has three parts to it. There's an introduction first, there's a main theme, and then there is an invitation. Let's first look at Peter's introduction. The point he is going to make in the introduction is this Salvation is available to all. Salvation is available to all. Look at verse 34, and let me set the stage for you once again. You have a house filled with jews and gentiles i imagine that they're each on opposite sides of the room right probably standing there it's probably pretty quiet you could cut the tension in that room with a knife because these two groups they didn't associate together very often we said last week these two groups they had a rocky past the jews did not care for the gentiles and believe me the feelings were mutual peter said in the previous passage it was unlawful for a Jew to associate with the Gentile. So this setting was tense, which makes what Peter says next even better. Luke tells us, Peter opened his mouth and said, truly I understand that God shows no partiality. He's got the evidence right there in the room, right? Now I want you to think about this for a minute. Peter was a Jewish man. He had been taught his whole life that God had a special love for the Jewish people and that he loved them more than any of the other nations and that God didn't really care all that much about the Gentiles. But because the vision that God had sent Peter the day before and due to the fact that he had orchestrated this meeting with Cornelius and the other Gentiles and Peter and the Jews, Peter's perspective was beginning... To change, he was beginning to see that God is no respecter of. Persons that he did not favor one group of people over the other. God was breaking down barriers and prejudices in Peter's life. He was destroying these prejudices that had been instilled in him early on. And that work that, that God had been doing in Peter's life, it led him to make this great statement here in verse 34, that God shows no partiality. Now, this was not a new work y'all know that a revelation that God had given he clearly said this in the Old Testament as well remember that the Jews were God's chosen people but God clearly told Abram that that the Jews were going to be the chosen channel through which God's blessings flowed out to the rest of the nations is that not what he told Abraham he did that was the plan from the very beginning God says all the way back in Deuteronomy 10, 17, it's, For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God who is not partial. In some more modern translations, it says God does not play favorites. He doesn't. So Peter cuts through this tension in the room by reminding his audience of the fact that God doesn't play favorites. Look at Acts 10, 35. But in every nation, how many nations? Everyone, every nation who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. Peter says clearly here, salvation has been made available to every nation to all. It doesn't matter who you are. Jew, Samaritan, Gentile, doesn't matter what you've done. Salvation has been made available to all, to every nation. Man, what an intro, right? Sure, he's got their attention now. And after doing that, after giving a word of introduction, Peter moves into the main point of his sermon, which is also great. After stressing the fact that salvation is available to all, he makes the point, salvation is in Christ. That's the second point. Good sermon, right? Salvation is in Christ. You know, it's great to know that salvation has been made available to everybody, but if you don't know where to go and get it, what good is it, right? Who to go to? Well, Peter moves right in to that point, beginning of verse 36. He makes it clear that salvation is in Christ alone. He says, as for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. Christ is Lord of all. What he's saying here is, he's making the point, like we said earlier that the Jewish people were meant to be the chosen channel through which God's blessings flowed out to the rest of the nations. He sent his message first to Israel and he sent his son to them. But the reason he sent his message, the reason he sent his son to them is so that they would in turn bring the good news of peace to all nations. Notice he says once again, he is Lord of all, not just Lord of the Jews, but Lord of the Jews and the Samaritans and the Gentiles. He is Lord of all. And folks, get this as well. He's the only Lord. He is the only way to be at peace with God, only through Jesus. There's no other way. You know why? Because He's Lord of all. He is Lord of all. Peter is saying here, Jesus is our only hope of salvation. And he is my only hope of salvation. And he is your only hope of salvation because he alone is Lord. He is Lord of all. Then Peter goes on in verses 37 through 43 to explain how Christ accomplished salvation, and how he made it available to everyone. Look at what he says in verse 37. He says, You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. So notice here, Peter begins appealing to certain things they already know. They were already quite familiar with Jesus at this time. And the reason why is because they weren't far removed from the earthly ministry of Jesus, and Jesus ministered in and around Caesarea. They had probably heard stories about Jesus from their Roman friends, and also from the Jews that they associated with in the synagogues in Caesarea. And notice, Peter gives a nice short summary of Jesus' earthly ministry like he does in his sermon at Pentecost. He speaks of Christ's life, and here in just a moment we're going to see he also speaks of his death and resurrection. But he starts... At the beginning of Jesus' earthly ministry, after he was baptized by John the Baptist. And after that, Peter tells them that God the Father anointed Jesus with the Holy Spirit and with power. Listen, though Jesus was fully God, he was also fully man. And as a man, he relied upon the Holy Spirit for strength and power. And Peter says that while Jesus was here on earth, during his earthly ministry, he went about doing what? Went about doing good, right? I mean, what other, what other thing could he have done but good things? And, and notice he says he went about healing all who were oppressed by the devil, We learned that though Jesus came to this earth to accomplish our salvation, he came for another reason as well, to destroy the works of the devil, didn't he? We learned that in 1 John 3. You have a passage in Hebrews in your spiritual growth guide that talks about that. All the way back in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. First book of the Bible, chapter 3. On the hills of the fall, we're told that the seed of the woman is going to come and do what? He's going to crush the serpent's head. It's the reason why Jesus is here, to destroy the works of the devil. That's the reason why he came. And he did it by healing those who were oppressed, both physically and, more importantly, spiritually. You know, Satan enjoyed many victories after the fall. One was this. As a result of the fall, people would now experience sickness and pain and death. That was not the world God created. That was not the way in which God created the world, but the way the world was after sin entered in. But during his earthly ministry, Jesus took people's pains away in that way, didn't he? He healed the sick. He raised the dead. And he did all that to show that he was the one who had come to make right all that was wrong by man's sin. It's what Jesus is doing there. He's showing he's coming to undo all that was messed up at the fall. He came to destroy the works of the devil. And though physical ailments that came as a result of the fall were bad, what was worse was the spiritual consequences of Adam's sin. We're told as a result of the fall, man was separated from God spiritually because of sin. But when Jesus came, he came to bring forgiveness of sin. He accomplished our salvation so that we could be made right with God once again and have life through Jesus' life, death, and resurrection in Jesus. And notice Peter says here also, he says in this text, unlike you guys, this is not something we heard through a secondary source. You see, Peter is speaking to the Gentiles here cornelius in his house in caesarea and they're hearing this message about jesus second hand right through peter peter says wasn't the case for us we were eyewitnesses to the person and to the work of jesus to his life and death and resurrection he says in verse 39 look at it there And we are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree, but God raised him on the third day and made him to appear, not to all the people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. You know, it's likely that Cornelius and them had heard about this group of Jews who were following Jesus and who were teaching that this man who died was alive again. But chances are pretty good that they were skeptical of that. They had probably heard from those Jews they associated with in the synagogues, things like this. Yeah, there's a crazy group of Jews over there in Jerusalem who believe that Jesus has been raised, but they're crazy. We don't believe that. But think about Cornelius here. God sent Cornelius an angel and says, go send for Peter. And he sends for Peter, and Peter comes into his home, and you know what he says? He says, believe it. God brought Peter to his doorstep to say, believe it. Christ has been raised. We saw these things with our own eyes. We not only saw him heal the sick and raise the dead, but we saw Jesus die by hanging on a tree, and we saw him alive again three days later, and after that, we hung out with him. We ate with him and we drank with him. And he says, God has chosen us to witness these things so that we in turn will report to you and others that Jesus is the Christ, that he is the Lord of all, and that salvation, peace with God is made available through him. And believers, we have that testimony today, don't we? We have Peter and the others crying out to us through God's word. Believe it christ has been raised he is lord of all so in peter's introduction he affirms salvation has been made available to all peoples and the major point of his sermon is that this salvation has been made available to all in christ alone and then lastly he moves into his invitation and his invitation is this salvation is by faith so salvation has been made available to all through jesus And it is available to us. It is accessible by faith alone in Christ alone. Peter says in verse 42, And he, Jesus, commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. So there's going to be a final judgment, right? And those who are not right with God are going to be condemned by Christ. Because he is the one who is going to judge all of those who have died and those who are still alive when he returns. He is going to judge them, those who have rejected him. Yet though he is coming as judge, Peter makes it clear here, he is available right now as Savior. Though he will one day condemn the guilty, get this, right now he is the rescue for sinners. It's what we sing about in here. Peter says, verse 43, to him all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. You know, sin has always been our greatest problem in life. You may think it's other things, but it's sin. It's the source of all our sorrow. It's the root of all our problems And it's the reason why many will be condemned. But Peter says to Cornelius here, and he says to the other Gentiles in his household, and he says to us, his greater Gentile audience, that in Christ there is forgiveness of sin and there is restoration to God. He says to this God-fearing Gentile and the Gentiles in his household, all the prophets you hear quoted in the synagogues day after day, they all bear witness to this. They bear witness to the fact that in Jesus there is forgiveness of sin and salvation. Wow, what a a sermon. And notice, Peter doesn't even get to finish before revival breaks out. How about that? Which moves us right into our final point here. We've talked about the fact that God chose Cornelius. He prepared Peter. He orchestrated this encounter and about how Peter preached God's gospel. And notice here the final point, Cornelius and the Gentiles are restored to God through Christ. The Gentiles are restored to God through Christ. Look at verses 44 through 48. While... Peter was still saying these things. The Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. I bet that was awesome. And the believers from among the circumcised, that's the Jews, who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. So they still weren't convinced when Peter was saying it, but when they saw it, they changed their tune. Verse 46. For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Notice here that while Peter is still preaching, the Spirit of God fell on them. And they were changed from the inside out. They were saved right then and there. And we're told that the Jews who had come with Peter, they were amazed because the Holy Spirit was poured out on the Gentiles in the same way he was with the Samaritans in Acts chapter 8 and with the Jews in Acts chapter 2. And we've talked about this several times already, you can go back and listen to my sermons in Acts 2 and in Acts 8 for more on why I believe the Jews and the Samaritans and the Gentiles all spoke the mighty works of God in different languages after the Spirit fell. But I will say this. Let me say this. Notice in all of these situations, Peter and the other Jews are there to witness it. That's very, very important. They were there in Acts 2. They were there in Acts 8 with the Samaritans, and they're here in Acts 10 with the Gentiles. And the reason why is so that they could then go back and report to the Jewish people, which is what they do in Acts chapter 11, and say, you guys are never going to believe this. The Samaritans and the Gentiles got the same thing we got. God allows for each of these three groups to have a similar experience so that they can see that the Holy Spirit of God is with all of them and so that none of them would elevate themselves above the other. He has done this to bring them all together and make them one in Christ. That's what Paul talks about in Ephesians 2. God is breaking down these dividing walls between these three groups through the person and work of Jesus and through the power of the Holy Spirit. Notice what happens next, verse 46. Then Peter declared, verse 47, can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to remain for some days. He basically turns to his Jewish friends as they're watching all this go down and he says, are you guys convinced like I am? You better believe that they were. The Gentiles have been saved, no doubt about it. So Peter commanded for his Jewish brothers who were with them from Joppa that he brought with him to baptize these Gentiles. Now, that's pretty smart of Peter for a number of different reasons. One, because there were probably quite a few of them, so he had some extra hands to dunk a few folks. But another reason why is because he wanted to get their hands dirty in this ministry with the Gentiles so that they could all go back to Jerusalem together and say, yeah, we baptized them. No doubt. Gentiles are in. They're God's kingdom people. So they baptize them. And then notice what happens next. This is so great. We're told they asked Peter to remain for some days. They asked Peter to stay. They, they, they wanted to spend more time together with their beloved brothers in Christ. And I'm sure they had tons of questions to Peter about Jesus. I mean, wouldn't you? You're there with an eyewitness. I would have so many questions for Peter. And I I imagine that the Jews and the Gentiles there in Caesarea, they enjoyed sweet fellowship together. We're beginning to see this dividing wall coming on down. The gospel is spreading to the Gentiles. And boy, after that, did it ever spread. This great work of salvation... That Christ accomplished two thousand years ago at Calvary, that was applied by His Holy Spirit to His apostles, and that then spread across Jerusalem to Judea and Samaria and on to the Gentiles in Caesarea. Eventually, makes its way to Asia Minor and Galatia and Ephesus and Corinth and Rome. And after Acts comes to an end, we learn in the history books that it spreads all across Europe to North Africa to Asia and eventually makes its way to the Americas and eventually. makes its way to us. And get this, this great work that began with the Gentiles in Caesarea over 2,000 years ago can be experienced by you this morning. But for that to happen, you have to do the same thing that the Gentiles did. You've got to come to the end of yourself. You've got to see that salvation doesn't rely in you. It doesn't lie in you. It's not attained by you and your good works. Only in Jesus. Salvation is available through him alone. He is Lord of all. You've got to see your sinfulness and you've got to see your need for what Christ has done for you. And you must receive this great work of salvation that he accomplished on your behalf by faith alone. If you're here today, You have not responded to this great work that Christ accomplished for you. I pray today be the day that you turn from your sin and you make Christ Lord. Would you pray with me?